this, I was tempted to have, uh, since Ben's coming on staff to say, hey, Ben, can you come and just read the passage? We're going to try something new this week where we have somebody else read the text because there's 27 names that are very difficult to say. So bear with me. I'm not going to apologize when I mess it, but I may go really slow and try to enunciate some of them. So let's pray and then we'll read our text. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you uh, that we have this building that we can meet in with uh, outside of the elements that we have the freedom to gather here to worship you, to study your word. Lord, we ask that as um, we come to this text, Lord, we ask that your spirit would illuminate the meaning, that you would help us, guide us. Lord, uh, speak to each one of us that we would see principles uh, that apply to us in this passage of a bunch of names. It's really kind of difficult to, to to learn from. And so, Lord, we turn to you. We ask for help. Uh, we pray that you would bless our time now. And it's in Christ's good name that we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Centuria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles, also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Androticus and Junius, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus our fellow worker in Christ, and Statues, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asistrintus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus, us, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And Father, we do thank you for this passage. We pray, Lord, that you would help us now, Lord, as we work our way through the text. And it's in Christ's good name, I pray. Amen. Uh, so yesterday, I, Anna's dad happened to call. He, he thought he missed a call from us. He calls back. I answer the phone. Everybody's gone. I say, hey, John, what's going on? He's like, did you call? I'm like, no, nobody called. He's like, well, I just hit redialed. I'm like, I don't know what you did, but nobody called here. I'm the only one. I guarantee you it. And then he quickly said, hey, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I'm like, hey, you know, in Romans uh, 16, where there's a whole bunch of names, he's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, that's what I'm preaching on. And he's like, ooh, that's tough. 
And I'm like, well, what do you preach on? He's like, oh, a passage I've preached a hundred times. I happen to be on a passage where when we were on deputation, getting ready to go to Spain, I preached at literally every single church over the course of three years that I went to. And I'm like, yeah, well, mine doesn't exactly outline itself. I've got to kind of figure out what to do with this. There are some passages you get to and you're like, it just lays out perfectly. Here, I have 27 names. There's some mentioned that we get some idea. Some of these people, history, there's there's, uh, much to be known about them. Other people, there's nothing at all known about them. One, one guy, I forget which one in the list of the names down there, he doesn't even have a last name. Um, we, we do know from these names, I could do a study, which I've opted not to do concerning each name, sort of working through and, and looking at what we know about them. Uh, I don't want to do that. But what I want to point out is from these names, there's great, great diversity. Uh, there, one of these names... I. I keep thinking it's Herodian, but I don't think it's Herodian because it says kinsman. I'm, I, I see I wasn't focusing on this, but one of these names down here we know is the grandson of Herod the Great. Uh, there's there's people that were in very high places in Rome who had come to Christ. There are slaves in this list. There are Jews in this list. There are Gentiles in this list. There's rich. There's poor. There's women, nine ladies that are listed in this list. This is a composite of so many different people. And the one point I do want to make before we actually get into the text is that the body of Christ is made up of a variety of people. That there is a place for you in the body of Christ. If you're a Christian, God has called you to serve him in some capacity. And when I say to, that you have a, 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 a calling, a place to serve within the church, don't be confused by this building. Don't think that the church is this building. The church is the people. The church has happened to meet at this location in Valley Center. Um, it, it's great. I'm thankful for this building. I, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to having buildings. This is the first church that I've really gone to where there was an actual building, and I'm the pastor of it, which is sort of was little trouble in the beginning because it's like the light bulb went out it's like oh well at the school the janitor would just fix it it's like well well, there's no janitor at this school (laughs) so fixing light bulbs became part of my learning this this the deal with like a building getting the septic tank pumped like coming to valley center what's a septic tank (laughs) oh i i learned the hard way (laughs) If you're visiting, we won't go into what a septic tank does or functions. We uh, will leave our dirty stuff out there. But the question is how to handle this passage. And instead of looking at the list of names, the, the descriptiveness of each of these people sort of gripped me this week. Where, where we don't know much about these people, we learn about them. And we see this idea of relationships. And I believe that as Paul wrote out this list of names... We're seeing the tip of the iceberg that with each name here, there's there's a whole mass, a whole story. Some of them, I wish I could know the background. Oh, I wish I knew what happened or what's Paul referencing here. But the key in all of this, where we're going today is the importance of relationships in the Christian life. Uh, Yesterday or Friday at the men's Bible study, we've been working through this book, uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man. 
This week's study was dealing with the discipline of of relationships, friendships. And if you'd asked me a couple weeks ago, did I feel that there was a discipline of friendship? I'd say, no, friends, you just sort of go through life and friends appear and you have friends and you enjoy them. And some friends kind of stay with you throughout your life and other ones kind of go different directions. But, But the last thing I would describe it as is a discipline. Well, that was before Friday. I've changed my opinion to see that, that, that there is much discipline and, and effort put into true, deep, meaningful relationships. One of the things that the author pointed out was how architecture of houses has changed over the last hundred years. And I started wondering if this was a thing down south or if this applied in Southern California. And as we started talking about it, it, it applies here just as much as it does down south. I, I think of going to parts of San Diego like um, North Park, Hillcrest, um, Golden Hill, the older sections, even old Escondido. You, you go to these places of the town and as you drive down the street, the house is just sort of right there on the street. There's a big patio out front. There's, there's a driveway and behind the house, some of them have garages, some of them don't. But everything is sort of at the front of the structure because community is important or it was back then. Somewhere 50 years, I don't know the exact year, but an architect realized, well, if we spin the whole house around, you can put the garage in the front and put the backyard and build hedges up. And then every man truly can be the king of his castle. He crosses his moat known as the driveway, pulls into the garage and the the drawbridge drops down and he has his empire. He doesn't have to risk his life with his neighbors and get involved. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, that is sort of different. Then you move to Valley Center and we have fences around our property. And if you don't have a fence around your property, you want a fence around your property. We say it's because of coyotes, but I'm not all. I don't know if that's why we do it. I don't know. But moving to Valley Center seven years ago to, to restart this church when there were eight people here. I, I was new to this environment. And I'm like, well, I just want to meet people and get engaged. So, so what am I going to do? I'm going to go, go to the local Starbucks and hang out there for all day long, drink coffee, hang out. Moved to Valley Center. I'm like, okay, where's that Starbucks at? <laughs> I'm still looking for it. I, uh, there isn't a Starbucks here. You got to go to the deli. The deli's a spot. But, 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 but coming to this town, go, well, how do we... How do you meet people in this community? And I've, over my time here, I found that there seems to be like two different waves of people. I think there are people that move out here for the isolation and not being involved. But then there's the other crowd who I refer to as like the cowboy crowd, who I like the cowboy. There's like, this is a, a, a jewel in San Diego. It's like, it's almost like we, there's a certain aspect where we go back in time. That there's still community here where you go places and you know everybody. You can go to the deli and it's like, oh, there's so-and-so. And you, you really can engage. But, but it takes work and it's definitely not the, the normative in our culture. And so as I come to this section and I read this list of 27 names. And if we were to keep going into verses uh, 21 to 24, we would see that seven more names are being mentioned. But even in this 27 names... It's not just 27 people because we, we see references of house churches and, and 
uh, the others and these different. There's a lot of people mentioned here. And the depth of of the relationship that Paul has has just been gripping me this week. And where I want to do is I want I want to like to back up. So if you turn with me to John chapter 13 and going to John chapter 13, we uh, we're bringing Jesus's sort of teaching. How does Jesus tie into this list of names that we're looking at today? And Jesus is the jugular vein of Christianity. Jesus is at the center of all that we do, everything that we believe, everything that we teach and practice should go back to him. And, and what was his influence? Now, when you come to John, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke. Those are the synoptic gospels there. They, they were written earlier in time. The gospel of John is very different than the other gospels and, and all of his writings. Um, John was the youngest of all of the, 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 the deposits, the apostles, the, the youngest of all of the apostles. He was the young whippersnapper filled with sort of zeal and, and dreams and fire. I mean, he was called um, the son of thunder. That, and, but as he lived his life, as he walked with Christ and then Christ died. And on the cross that Jesus looks to John and says, John, look at this. Look at, well, he look up, he looks up at Jesus and Jesus, let me reset. Too many files opened in my brain. I was racing ahead of myself. Jesus on the cross looks down to John and he says, look at this woman over there. That's your mother now. And he's speaking to Mary, his mom. And he says, I'm going to die. I'm dying on the cross here. You take care of her. And tradition holds that, that Mary lived with John until she passed away, that he, he loved her. All the other apostles, they were executed for their faith. And yet John survived. And so at the end of John's life, he was the the grandfather of the church. He was the last remaining person, probably in his 80s, 90s. Some speculate even in his hundreds. That everybody from the generation of Christ had passed away. And yet John the apostle remained. And it was during that season that he wrote his gospel of John. The thing that strikes me about the gospel of John is you look at the other stories of where they emphasize like either the cross or the, the ministry. If there's one emphasis in John's gospel, I believe it's the Lord's supper. He begins in John chapter 13 and he goes all of the way to John through John chapter 17. So you have 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, five chapters out of a 21 chapter book. It's a quarter of his book is dedicated to the Lord's Supper. I believe that whatever happened that night that he records transformed him in a way like no other event in his life. He went from being called the son of thunder to the apostle of love, that he only saw himself as a man whom Jesus loved, changed him. And in John chapter 13, the story unfolds where they sit down to dinner and Jesus goes about and he washes the feet of, of the apostles that were there. Seems strange to us because we don't do that. It, it seems strange to them because certainly Jesus wouldn't have been the guy to wash their feet. This was reserved for the lowest low person. It was an act of humility and service and I mean, think about it. Like our feet are still pretty nasty today. Like I'm not saying that we're better than they were, 
But we kind of hide our feet. Every now and again, you'll go over to somebody's house and you walk through the door and you see the pile of shoes. And if you're a household that does this, I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I'm not harassing you. I don't know if Mike's giving me the stink eye over there. Yeah. It's nice to give people the warning because you get over there and you look at the shoes and you're like, oh man. Hey, can I run down to Target real quick? And I need to get some new socks because I like these socks aren't, uh, they're not show worthy. But the idea of washing their feet, in our equivalent, this would be something, I think, like changing the bedpan of a loved one. This is something that you have deep love if you're changing the bedpan for another person or you're being paid to do it. This was the idea of washing the feet. And yet Jesus gets down on his knees and he washes all of their feet. And following that act in John thirteen thirty four, he looks at them and he says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Powerful. The the, the old commandment was that you love one another as you desire to be loved. But Jesus says, no, you love like I loved you. I, being the creator and sustainer of the universe, humbled myself Gave my life for you, served you sacrificially. And he's like, that's what I want you to do. As we turn the page, we're not going to stop at John chapter 17. We're going to go to Romans chapter 1. So if you're following along, please join me in Romans chapter 1. But at the end of the Lord's Supper, he starts with love for one another and he teaches on loving one another. And in John 17, he prayers what's referred to as the high priestly prayer. He prays for the apostles that are with him. And then he prays for those that will become believers following their teaching. So we would be included. And he says, Father, I pray that they would be unified. Because if they have unity, then the world will know. And this idea of love and unity seemed to be a critical theme like throughout the New Testament. In Romans, we've seen this, um, which we'll get to. Uh, This idea of you love one another and in that love, it bridges unity. And they're talking about meat in Romans chapter 14, which we'll we'll get to. But there's always stuff. And it was a few years ago. It really like it was Kelly who I always harass, you know, for very stuff. We have banter. But I think it was like a year and a half ago. And I'm drawing it out because she's like, what did I say? But she said something that really like blessed me. And I, she wasn't even talking to me is probably, you know, and and she was talking to a group of people and she said, you know what? I love that we do hymns here. And I kind of remember thinking like, why in the world do you love hymns? Like this has been a struggle for me. I'm glad like that we kind of got going to where we have like non hymns going. And this is just in my mind. So don't, you know, I was having a conversation with myself eavesdropping on somebody else. And Kelly looked at the person. She's like, well, I love hymns here because I love our elderly people here. And because I love them, I love it when we sing a hymn. And I've heard elderly people say the same thing about the non-hymns. And, and the more I think about this concept is we have our preferences. But, but what keeps us unified in these preferences when they, they conflict with each other? It's, it's the love bridges that gap. And it's a beautiful thing when... When you've experienced the love of Christ and then your love 
that you've experienced from him that you can pour it out into other people's lives that when there's a, a difference of conviction that, that the gap is bridged and then there's unity in that. It doesn't mean uniformity, that we all dress the same, we all like the same music, we all drive the same cars. We know that's not true. There's great diversity. But in the midst of this diversity, that love keeps us unified, that we have the same Lord. And that love transforms everything that we do. And coming to Romans chapter 1, where this, this book begins, his letter to them. In Romans chapter 1, verse 11, Paul writes to this church, who he's never been there. He doesn't know many of them. And he says, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. If you read that, you'll, you'll, if you don't keep reading, you're going to miss a whole lot. But, but I read this first part. It's like, well, he's the apostle Paul. Jesus made multiple special trips to visit Paul as it's recorded in, in scripture. We look at Paul's life uh, and what he wrote, um, the books of the Bible that we have. The Christian church gets the majority of its instruction through the life of Paul, that God used this man. So I read verse 11, and I think, well, that's a no-brainer. He's the apostle Paul. There's, there's no church out there that can't be encouraged by Paul. It's verse 12 that really gets me. He says, that is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. He says, you know what? I, I want to bless and encourage you and strengthen the church there. But I'm looking forward to getting there and to being encouraged by you to, to my own walk with the Lord to be strengthened. We each, all of us collectively bring something to the body of Christ. We need each other. We need you as a church to be operating within your gifts. I'll never forget uh, the transition uh, from my, I, I was raised Catholic. It's, it's not a slamming on the Catholic church. This is in my, in my family's culture. Church for me growing up was literally explained to God has given you so much. The least you can do for him is to give him an hour on Sunday. I resisted that notion because I really hated going to church. Looking back, I'm like, well, that seems like a pretty good trade. I mean, like, he, God has blood. Like, what is an hour? That, that's a pretty good trade. And so we would go to church to the early service. I don't even know if they sing music at Catholic Church, but I always went to the first service. And I was told that we went there because there was no music during that service. And so we would go in. We would do church. And then communion was like the, you've been cleared hot to leave. I think stuff happened after communion, but we'd fulfilled our obligation after taking communion. And we were out of there. And then I became a Christian later on. I started going to church. Like, I like going to church. I even like the music. So I'd show up right at, on time. I would, I would listen to the worship. I would start singing. I'd be encouraged by the words. Then when church ended, I was out the door. And then as God began to work in me, and really what he did was create this, this like sense of emptiness, like that there's more. And then I went to the church, and the church I was going to, it's not their fault, it was within me. I kind of looked around, I'm like, man, all the spots on the team are taken. So I'm just going to keep going. 
And I'm going to come and I'm going to go and kind of wish that I was handing out bulletins, but I'm not qualified to do that. And then the church basically formed another church. And while at that other church, the pastor kept saying, hey, if you're not serving, don't blame us. We need your help. And I slowly got involved. And then I started developing these relationships and started seeing that that Christianity is about building roots and relationships across age differences, against racial backgrounds, against monetary gaps, that the rich can be friends with the poor, that, that, that it doesn't matter what your native language is. That there's unity in Christ and there's depth here. And Paul starts this letter out with this, this, this longing and this desire to bond, to create depth in relationship. If you fast forward in Romans, we've reviewed it enough times. I have to be careful not to start reviewing because then we'll be here for the next couple hours. We get to Romans chapter 12. All of this doctrine has been laid out. All of this truth about who you are apart from Christ, what Christ did for you, that you stand justified, that this great work and all of this great doctrinal truth. And he comes to chapter 12 and he says, because of all of these things, this is the truth. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he, he gets right in to, to relationships. A few verses later at chapter 9, and he says, let love be without hypocrisy. That the way you love one another, that you love somebody to their face, the same way as when their back is to you or they're away from you. There's no hypocrisy in your love. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And he keeps going on. But this idea, love one another, brotherly love. Establish these roots. Why is this connection of love and relationship so important? You know, I love lists. I mean, I love lists. Everybody who knows me is laughing. If you can see my phone, I kind of miss the days of the yellow pad. It's still my preference. Because there's some satisfaction of, that one's done. I got room for one more now. Let's put on some more. I love lists. In my phone, I have my notes. Now you just kind of click the X and it disappears. But you can go back and see all the ones you've clicked off when you need that satisfaction. I love lists. And so... I translate this into the Christian life. And I think, well, Lord, I'm a Christian now and I have lots of questions. So I create a list and I'm doing it again. I started already because what was the first list? I had well, I have all these questions. Well, read the Bible. Okay. I got a Bible with a bunch of boxes, each box for each chapter. And literally, as I read, check, 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 check. I eventually read the whole Bible. And I'm like, man, I have way more questions. Checking those boxes didn't like solve all my, I need another list. And so we kind of tend to think that the Christian life, and some circles that I've come with, like discipleship means, let's give you a list. 
First Christianity 101. Then we're going to do Christianity 102, then 103. Then when you get to the big games, we're going to go to the 401 classes. We're going to go through all of this stuff. Problem is, life doesn't happen like that. Discipleship doesn't happen like that. And so we need to be grounded and in relationships, devoted to one another in brotherly love. What Paul emphasizes here, because you know what? You go through life. I love Jesus. I'm, I want to love other people and I want to serve him. And you're going along and then all of a sudden your bottom drops out from you. And you're in this mess. And, and how do I deal with this mess? Well, I've had a bunch of messes. But the one big, like the big, like super hard, because in marriage, normally it's like one person falls and then the other person's able to like hold them up. But when both go kaplunk, it gets extremely difficult. And and Anna and I's big kaplunk is when we lost our first child. Like this, it was it was devastating. We thought we were all alone. Nobody knew what we were going through today i'm thankful i mean i'm thankful for the experience i guess because i i would be a very insensitive pastor if it wasn't for that experience and then when that happened all of these ladies and men that we knew started reaching out to us privately saying you know what we had the same thing happen to us we know how hard it is we love you give us a hug we're here for you. It was, it was like it was almost what they did say, and it was like going through that, then experiencing that love was powerful. But but so we go through life, and things happen. And if you're not connected, if you if you're not in relationship and with other believers and and people who are walking with the Lord at various stages of their life, you're not going to be growing. And it's as we go through these things to have that relationship where you've developed trust to say, you know, I'm hurting. I'm going through this. And then for another believer, say, you know what? I went through that or I've never went through that, but I love you and I'm here for you. I love you. This is what Paul's trying to create. You continue down to verse eight of chapter 13. It says, oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another for he who loves loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law that that this this burden that we we have we should have no debt except for the debt of love that you can never get out of this debt this obligation that if you've experienced the love of Christ you are indebted to one another to be loving to love one another then we get to chapter 14 and in chapter 14 verse 14 after this great tension that he begins explaining to the Jewish believer to eat meat would be defiled themselves and would be dishonoring to God because that meat could have been offered to a to an idol. To the Gentile believer or to the strong Jewish believer, say these idols are meaningless. God's the creator of all things. Doesn't matter what that meat happened. You give thanks to God. How do we handle these convictions? And Paul says, verse fourteen: For I know and am convinced in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of your food or whatever, your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. 
do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. And this is this beautiful, that, that love bridges that gap, creates unity. And as we come to Romans 16, I am getting to the names. I, I think this list of names is the fruit, the overflow of Paul, the Pharisee who'd come to know Christ, who deeply loves those for whom Christ died, which is all humanity. He has his deep sense of love as he's come to know them. This is the outflow. And it's beautiful. He starts with this girl, Phoebe. And he says, I commend to you our sister, Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in Centuria. He says, I, I, I give this, this, this girl, I, I, I give her to you. I commend her to you. We'll see. It's believed that Phoebe, when Paul finishes this letter of Romans from Corinth, he hands the letter to Phoebe and Phoebe delivers it to them. He describes her as a servant. This Greek word there is deacon. There is no neuter term. There is no feminine term. There is only deacon in the the masculine. It's a term that some have created the deaconess to show that there are ladies who are serving in the body of Christ. And look how he describes her. If you, you skip down. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. That she's from this church in Centuria, which is about six miles to the east from Corinth. She's a deacon there. She serves too many people to list. She's just been a deep blessing and a servant. Paul is not the male chauvinist that some people try to give him credit for. Yes, there are roles within the body of Christ. But to say that that women are of no value is foolish. There, There are nine ladies listed here. When I look at our church and the church at large around the world, if you were to take out women from the body of Christ, they could get real. Talk about the apocalypse. I mean, it, it would it, devastating. Within this body, we're not big into name tags and titles. Like, I just think it creates a, a, a bad, a, just, a, it, it gets corrupted really easy. You start handing out titles. But I can tell you, our church has all sorts of female deacons. These are ladies that are servants that, that for, I mean, I'm not going to start listing stuff, but all behind the scenes and stuff, there are people who are ladies who are always willing to serve sacrificially from meeting with people, from leading ladies Bible studies to helping prepare the church. Phone call, all the stuff I don't even know about. And I'm thankful for the women that are serving the body of Christ in our body. And so Paul commends this Phoebe. He says in verse 2 that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. That you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. She's helped all kinds of people, especially me. And as she comes, people speculate. We don't know the rest of the story. But it's believed that she was relocating and moving. We don't know the reason. And she would be planting roots in Rome. And so as she goes there, he tells the church in Rome, listen, she's coming from here. 
She's going to need help, help her. Whatever she needs, take care of her. And then in verse 3, we meet Prisca and Aquila. If you turn with me back to Acts chapter 18, I want to introduce this couple to you. And in Acts chapter 18, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. I'm looking at things trying to memorize. Okay, it's a book right before Acts. I mean, right before Romans. So in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, as soon as I get there, we read, after these things, he, that's Paul, he's on his missionary journey. He left Athens and went to Corinth, which is down in southern Greece today. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. I think I've mentioned this enough times over the course of this year to, to know the background. The church existed in Rome because at Pentecost, there were a number of, they were all Jews at Pentecost. They come to hear about Christ. The church is formed. They become believers. They leave Jerusalem. They head back to Rome. While in Rome, they establish a church, predominantly Jewish church. Sure, some Gentiles started believing. There's a small contingent of, of Gentile believers in Rome during that time. But the Jews are sharing with their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ that the Messiah had indeed come. And it created tension. And Claudius didn't like the tension in his city. And so he expels all of the Jews from Rome and the Gentile believers remain. Aquila and Priscilla were a part of this bunch. And they find themselves kicked out of their hometown. Kicked out of Italy. And now they're in Corinth. And Paul meets them and they connect with one another. They both have the same trade tent makers. Don't don't think hiking tent. Think uh, more army tent structure, sort of permanent where they could do business and people could live. And they they work side by side. We see them plant churches, strengthen churches, all sorts of stories. We'll see that, that, that these couple Paul says that they put their necks out on the line for my life. Just think of that chicken, you know, that you get his neck out. That's what they're doing for Paul. It's funny reading the commentators because they they were in too many close calls with Paul to try to even begin to speculate which one it, it was. And so they're, they're here in Corinth. But by the time we get back to Romans, you can turn back to Romans chapter 16. Now he says, what did he say? Greet Priscilla, greet Priscilla and Aquila. No, look what he says. Prisca, he, he now knows them deeply and intimately. This is a, a relationship. My daughter's name is Elizabeth. We call her Ellie. We all have nicknames. And so now Paul is not calling her Priscilla, her formal name. It's kind of Prisca. Great Prisca and Aquila. Uh, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks. To whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Now, don't let this little phrase slip past you. We've seen the tension that existed because eventually Claudius was poisoned. They think it was by his wife. They're not really sure. But, but wives don't. I, I, there was too many smirks there. Just cut it out. Nero comes to power. Nero allows the Jews to come back. 
Priscilla and Aquila are now back in Rome. There was now tension because the Gentile church had so grown during this absence, this vacuum. So now there's Gentile believers there. They're larger in number and the Jews are in the minority, the Jewish believers. And so here are these Jewish believers, Priscilla and Aquila, who are there. And look what Paul says. He thanks them. But also all the churches of the Gentiles. That, those brother and sister of ours, Priscilla and Aquila, every all of the churches that are Gentiles here in modern day Turkey. They all send their greetings and thanks to that couple because they were instrumental in the work of the gospel in these areas. It's beautiful. It says also greet the church that is in their house. And I love this. This building, like I've already said it, this building is just the building that we meet at. We're thankful for it. We thank God for it. But the church is the people. If, if, if this building, we had an earthquake and it tumbles tonight. Hopefully nobody's here. Nobody gets hurt. Valley Baptist Church still exists. Because it's just a building. Just bring your jackets. We'll be in the field next week. And, or we'll be in people's houses. We're in houses. There's a beauty of having a Bible study in a house, in a fellowship. We should be in each other's homes. And, and they were people who were like that. They invited people into their lives. And he says, greet the church that's in their house as well. Beautiful. Then this guy that's hard to say. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who was the first convert to Christ from Asia. Oh, I wish I knew the rest of the story here. Did, did this guy come to Christ on Paul's, one of his first missionary journeys there? I don't know. But Priscilla and Aquila go there and you get the idea that Paul links them together and they all journey back to Rome. And he says, this was the first convert in all of Asia. I don't know if this was Paul's prayer journal or he I, but it's special. Oh, I wish I knew the rest of the story, but I don't have it. Then we have greet Mary. Highlight this, who has worked hard for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back around on this phrase. But I love when Mary's mentioned, she's just a person that was a servant who worked hard. I, um, I kind of chuckled with this one yesterday preparing. Because our Christmas choir, they were here yesterday morning. I wasn't even here. But Joshua brought some great food. and I, Some of the food made home, but that's another story. And uh, our choir is working hard. This is not like previous years. I, uh, you know, well, Anne's not here right now. She's in the back wrangling my crazy child. And uh, she just looks like the sweetest, kindest, gentlest little thing, doesn't she? She is a coach and pushes. And I'm not looking at the people in the choir. There's a saying in the Navy, in the teams, that there is, you, when the boys are complaining, you know they're happy. Because they're being pushed to the edge of their comfort zone. And a few weeks ago, Anne gave me a call. Like, she left this message, and she's like, I need to talk to you about grace. And I, like, I literally just started, like, internally just crying. My kid, like, loves singing. And I'm like, she's getting kicked off the choir because she has my singing skills. 
And I remember looking at Anna, I'm like, should I pull some pastor rank and say, no, she's staying, she's deal with her, you know, which wasn't the case. But Anne's like, hey, I want to come and I want to coach Grace on the side. I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. You're not kicking her off the team. I thought you're, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll do whatever we can do. And when I think of this, this, the, the people on the team, they're being pushed. And you can see the, I haven't heard anybody complain. But you can tell they're being stretched. And Mike and I sit on the side and we're just like, they sound amazing. Amazing. But they're not lollygagging. Like Anne's like coaching and they're, they're working hard, which is ministry, which we'll get at. And, and I'm thankful for you who are in the choir that you're making this sacrifice, that you want to be pleasing to the Lord because, you know, Christmas Eve rolls around. I know the Christmas story really well, so I feel comfortable stuffing myself Christmas Eve and then coming and doing, but I wouldn't be comfortable doing that uh, and singing. But they're, they're working hard. They're sacrificing. They want to they wanna be pleasing to the Lord. They're not earning their salvation, but because of their great love for the Lord. And when I see Mary, I think of them. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junus, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles who were in Christ before me. This, the, these two names, they create a little bit of tension. And the main the, the tension is, is that Junius... It could be a male or a female. Nobody knows, is this a husband and a wife? And then there's kind of implications. And I really don't want to get into all of that. What does the text say? First, my kinsmen, they're Jewish. My fellow prisoners, they're... You guys know, like, when you're, when you're in prison, you just, you bond with those people. Mike's nodding with me. I don't, I don't know if he's been locked up or whatever. We weren't supposed to answer out loud. And... uh no, but sarcastically, or not sarcastic, seriously, I'm so used to being sarcastic, is I love Kairos prison ministry and what we do in the making of the cookies. But we need to be careful because when the New Testament speaks of prisoners, it's, it's speaking to those who are in prison because of their testimony of the Lord, their proclamation of the gospel, not, not necessarily because they've murdered somebody or done something. And they need Christ too, and we need to be there. They need the gospel, but there's a difference. When we read fellow prisoners, these are people who are like our brother Saeed in, in Iran today, who is a Calvary chapter, Calvary chapel pastor who's in prison in Iran presently as we speak because of his testimony for Christ. There are other missionaries in North Korea. There was a, a North Korean vet, a Korean vet who was released there are still missionaries in prison that they won't release because of their faith. This is a different sort of prisoner. Last, last week when we were leaving, Anna kind of reminded me, she's like, isn't this your anniversary of your hell week? I said, oh yeah, it's been 19 years. And I dug up a picture of when I graduated SEAL training hell week. And I looked at us and it's like, man, we look like prisoners of war. It was horrible. I mean, the picture. And I mean, the day was bad too. And I didn't realize it going through it, but looking back, but, but there's something that only those guys that I graduated with, there's a bond that, that, that words fail to convey the, the bond that we'll have for the rest of our lives. And I think that this is what Paul, 
If you're arrested for your faith in Christ and you don't budge and you sit in a prison cell with them, there's the bond that Paul describes here. My kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, outstanding among the apostles. Certainly this isn't capital A apostles. There were 14. There were 12 apostles, right? Then Judas committed suicide. I remembered his name this time. Then Matthias in chapter one was selected to replace him. Then Pentecost happened. So now we're up to 12. Then Paul meets Christ on the road to Damascus and he becomes another apostle. So there's 13, 14, depends on if you want to give Judas his rank or not. There, there has not been apostles since then. However, the term could mean sent out ones. Those who are missionaries today, we could refer to them as apostles. Those who are going out as ambassadors. And so there's a question like, is this phrase speaking to that they were sent out as apostles? Or does this mean that amongst the apostles, that the apostles, the original apostles, thought very highly of them? I don't know. But look at what it says, the next phrase, who also were in Christ before me. This is Paul. Paul writes Romans. He was older. He was a Pharisee. To become a Pharisee, you had to be 30. And it wasn't like he all of a sudden became a Pharisee, then converted to Christ. He was a Pharisee. He was advancing among the ranks. He was, he was head, going the direction that where he would lead the Sanhedrin. So, so maybe 40-ish, 40 to 50 Paul converts to Christ. And then the Bible tells us that after he converted, God sent him to the desert to rethink his theology, his understanding of the Messiah. So then he scoured the pages of the Old Testament or the Bible, seeing Christ in those passages to prepare him for his ministry. We're told he was there for 14 years. So now we're pushing like 70. And so Paul says, these two people were believers before me. And what strikes me about these two people is they're running the race. It's not a sprint. The Christian life is a marathon. It doesn't matter how you start. It's all about how you finish. This longevity. It's like the stock market, man. We have days that we, we fought where none of us are sinless. We're forgiven. And we have seasons where we stumble. And because we're in relationship, we're able to, to link arms and help one another. And I love the longevity of these two people that Paul says they were believers before me. They're still going strong. I look at those in our church that have been walking with the Lord for 60, 70 years. And I'm inspired to go the distance. I want to finish strong. Verse 8 through 15. There's a whole lot of names there that are hard to say. And I'm going to sort of stop. And I want to look at some of the things, the descriptive phrases, looking at them. We see stuff. I, I highlighted the descriptive phrases in blue. I see uh, my, my beloved worked hard for you, kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, outstanding among the apostles in Christ before me, my beloved, my fellow worker, my beloved, the approved in Christ, my kinsmen. Who are in the Lord, workers in the Lord, worked hard in the Lord, a choice Lord, 
a choice man in the Lord. And he goes on to say his mother and mine. And so this guy's mom almost kind of like adopted Paul, that Paul sees her as a motherly figure, which I love this when we see people within the body who become parents to those within the body. It's beautiful. And there's about four different sections. The first category that I see in these lists describing these people are worked hard for you, workers in the Lord, worked hard in the Lord, our fellow worker. This idea of they were committed to serve and they put out and they sacrificed. My last time in the Middle East, my last time in the military in the Middle East, I was on this running kick. I determined that I wanted to like get credit for running long distances and the SEAL teams, I'd had a whole bunch of long runs that I never got credit for. So I said, I'm going to, I'm going to train and run my first marathon. I was into it. I was, I was in a phase. I even got a subscription to Runner's World magazine. I remember thumbing through the magazine and seeing this full page ad, the Jesus Run Marathon. Like, this is awesome. And then I was like, keep, I'm reading the, the fine print and I see that you could raise money for missionaries of your choice. And there was this girl I liked who had a thing with missionaries. She grew up in the mission field. And I, on the way to the Middle East, I stopped in Spain, saw where she grew up, and I was like, I could run the marathon and get the girl all in the same like ever. This is a, a great idea. So I'm training in the Middle East. I got to remember where I'm going with the story. So the fine print that I didn't see, and this is a disclaimer, never run your first marathon in Denver. Like I, I didn't catch that it was in Denver. I realized when I bought the tickets like, oh, where, where is this? Oh, Denver. They call it the Mile High City. And so it made it a little difficult running, but that's a different issue. And so I start training and I'm running on this treadmill. And Anna had been sending me CDs of Miles McPherson and, and messages that he preached just so I could have something to listen to to study while I was gone. And I, I have no idea what he was teaching on. But what he said, when I was on a treadmill in Kuwait listening like and it was like listening to the eye of the tiger for rocky i was getting goosebumps on my arms just running along and i'm like laughing at myself if my buddies only knew what i was listening to and miles starts sharing about those who want to enter the ministry how they join the ministry and they're slackers and they don't put out and they think it's an easy vocation or a calling And he started to say, no, absolutely not. This is where we sacrifice all. We give our all. And he went on and on and on. And this was like early in my, like sensing that God was calling me into the ministry. And I was fired up. There are, unfortunately, there are pastors who slack and don't prepare. Teaching the scriptures is hard. Counseling is hard serving is hard. Like I'm thankful for Don and his family. You know, Don has like a real job and then he has a family and then he serves. And I I mean, I look at, there's all kinds of people here who serve. And the ministry is not a step back. And I love this, that Paul says they worked hard for you. They gave their lives for you. I see this all the time, Sunday school, VBS. I mean, you, I, everything that we do around here, it's because people want to give their all to the Lord. 
It's beautiful. And he says, my beloved, my kinsman, I, I see this depth of relationship. I've already mentioned the importance of being connected, being involved, being in relationships, being open to visitors who come in. Discipleship happens in relationship. It's not about clicking the list. For years, I, I thought church was about putting on my best clothes and looking like everything was put together. And I'd go, my life is fine. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. And I wasn't good. Don't raise your hands. But often coming to church, Anna and I take separate cars now because that's where we had our biggest fights was going to church. That was a joke. I mean, well, we do take separate cars, but it's not because we're fighting anymore, at least today. And uh, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, we... We need to be in, in in relationship. And so I, I've told the illustration about, about firefights in the SEAL. If you're engaged in a combat situation, the first thing you do is you get firepower downrange, just in case you guys find yourself in this situation this weekend. You, you get supremacy of fire downrange to immediately disengage. And then you start breaking fire. So as you're firing, guys are peeling off. This isn't classified. You can find it on YouTube and you, you get away from the firefight. So eventually you're over here when the firefight's over there. Right away, you rally up, which means you get in a small circle, everybody facing out with the radio guy and the head guy in the center, going from person to person saying, are you okay? And the immediate response is, I'm okay. And I have four magazines or three, two, three magazines, you know, like that, or whatever your ammo count is. I'm okay. I'm out of ammo. Okay. Oh, my arm's gone. I can't shoot. I'm hurt. Okay, we need to get a medic on that person right now. This guy's out of ammo. You have five magazines. Give me your three magazines. I'm going to give them to this guy. You get situated and you go. That's the Christian life. This isn't the place where we come together and we act like we got everything together and that we're doing okay. This is a place when I need prayer. I'm really struggling. Can you pray for me? I really have this situation. I, mean, I, I, I have this situation at work. I don't know what to do. Oh, I've been there. Maybe you try this. This is where we strengthen our relationships and we learn to walk with the Lord. It's not about playing games. And when you engage at this sort of level, you develop relationships that are, I tell you, and I don't say this lightly, I'm closer with many of the people in this church than I am with my own family members. And it's not saying that we're disengaged. We love our family. We want to be there. We want to share our life. And then the last one, before I get all excited. I have to find it. He says, I I, I want to know more about this guy. Um, I'm scouring all my blue. It says approved in Christ. You guys find the verse. Let me know. Approved in Christ. Verse 10. Great appellees. The approved in Christ. Period. Paul, can you give us more? Clearly appellees. Like. He knew what Paul was talking about. Maybe people. Why? Why does he get this? I, like, I didn't have time to start digging this guy, but it's like, it's, I don't want to say it's killing me, but it's like, was this guy a slave? 
was this guy who was so, so thrashed by his culture and his community that he was so broken down. And then he gave his life to the Lord. And Paul reminds him that you are approved in Christ. I don't know. But I look at the church and because of our uh, earthly parents, places of employment, relationships, our culture breaks people down and people are abused and hurting. And we come to Christ and then we think that God is like our earthly father or like these situations. And we need to remind ourselves who we are in Christ. You're saved by grace through faith. And we're told that in Christ you're justified. Romans chapter 5. And if you've accepted Christ, you're approved. It's the only self-esteem you need. I'm in Christ. You go through and do a study of all the things that you are in Christ. That's what our marriages need. That's what our relationship with our kids need. And then verse 16 is not geared towards 16-year-old little boys. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Last service, I saw the boys. Hmm, how can I use this? That was my inner 16-year-old boy. This one strikes me. This is, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. He just listed all of these people who are there. And then he basically says amongst them, greet one another with a holy kiss. What? Why does he say that? It'd be like getting a letter from Africa from our missionaries that are there. And the last time they were here, they've met a number of you. But then there's a whole bunch of you that they don't know. And I can see them sending a letter saying, hey, say hi to, to Larry. Say hi to Gunner. Say hi to whoever was at Sunday school. And to, okay, I don't know if he's raising his hand. I'm ignore Albert Jr. He's wearing a Dodgers uniform back there. So I'm like ignoring him. Oh, okay. Uh, um, but then he says, okay, I greet all the people I know. And now you guys greet one another with a holy kiss. What do you mean? We see each other every week. Why, why is Paul saying greet one another with a holy kiss? And we start saying, well, that's the way they handle it. If you go to Spain, you're going to kiss everybody on the cheek twice, one on each side. Some cultures, it's like you do twice on each side, but not at the same time. You don't do two. two. I, I'd want to minimize it. There are some people in this church, depending on your generation, and your background, who like, when I see them in the morning, kiss them on the cheek. It's never been Larry yet. <laughs> well, next weekend, Larry. Was this the culture? But And I studied that wasn't the culture. The culture then, they shook hands in Rome. But in the east where Paul was writing from, they still greeted each other this way. And I think what Paul is communicating is, is like, keep the relationship. You Jewish believer who won't eat meat and you Gentile believer who will eat meat, don't hug one another, greet one another. Fill that relationship. And he says, all the churches in Christ greet you. There's anything I didn't get from this is that I'd encourage you to to be intentional about deepening your relationships this year. In Christ, out of Christ, especially within the church. Like, I love the announcement time. This was like one message you know, we always try to break it up, but I love it that people are getting it. I love it that, that people hang out after church and talk with them and they start looking at me and say, do we have to leave? I'm like, I'll stay here all day if you guys are hanging out. Like I, 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 that's what it's about. 
So, Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, for. Lord, first and foremost, this relationship that we have with you through Christ. Father, I pray for those in our midst that that are maybe uncertain about their position with you, maybe haven't ever considered um, entering into a relationship with you through faith. Lord, I pray that whatever they need, Lord, to kind of bridge the gap, that they would reach a place in their life where they would trust you with their lives, that they would do that. And Father, for those of us in Christ in this body, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to achieve new depth of relationships, Lord, that we would be strengthened in our relationship with one another. Father, as visitors come from our community, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be welcoming and loving. Father, we thank you for the friendships that we have, for those that have come along us, Lord, and helped us in this life where we face difficult times and we need help. We're thankful during the good times that we have people to rejoice with. And so, Lord, we pray just for us as a body, Lord, that you would, um, Lord, that you would just, Lord, help us to, to know this true fellowship, this intimacy in Christ. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.